2: So COVID is in the news again, just in time for a new booster, a new vaccine to be released, they say mid-September, just in time for the upcoming presidential election. I I guess we should call it the election variant. So are Americans going to fall for this again? Are enough Americans still fired up about the destruction that politicians caused their lives, the businesses that were shut down, the people who were denied the ability to say goodbye to a loved one, the people who died of suicide or overdoses because of the loneliness from government dictated lockdowns. Are Americans gonna take this again? How will we respond to this as a country? And how far is Joe Biden and the left willing to push it? We're going to talk to Jeffrey Tucker of the Brownstone Institute. He's the founder and president. He's also the author of Liberty or Lockdown. The Brownstone Institute's a nonprofit dedicated to finding out what happened during COVID and dedicated to making sure it never happens again. So stay tuned for Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey, it's an honor to have you on the show. You started the Brownstone Institute, which has been incredibly helpful because uh, we really haven't been getting the truth from most of the media about COVID. And and you guys have been uh, working to provide that for the American people. So I'm so glad that you started it. And that it exists.
3: Can you believe that three and a half years later, we still don't have any clarity about what happened to us and why or any of the basic facts about what COVID is and what it does and who's at risk and... How do you avoid it? And then the relationship of, you know, government policy to the infection rate. Like three and a half years later, there's still not been a reckoning over this. It's astonishing.
2: There still hasn't been a reckoning. And it looks like we're about to, you know, get back into the cycle of this. I, I got this alert this morning from The Washington Post. Latest COVID variant threatens to be the most adept at evading immunity. Very scary. And then, you know, you go through and you just search COVID. It's in the headlines again, right? You know, talking about how this new variant is spreading in the U.S., rise in hospitalizations, you know, the updated COVID shot likely to be available just in time in mid-September. You know, and it, it almost makes you wonder, I mean, shouldn't they just call this the election variant?
3: Mm, yeah, there's something very suspicious about the timing of all this stuff since it, there is no evidence whatsoever that there's something uniquely dangerous about this new variant. It's just another variant and gets, you know, these respiratory viruses are always mutating. That's just the way they do. Some Some of these uh, pathogens are stable. And there are things against which you can vaccinate, but others like this are constantly producing new variants and our immune system needs to be, you know, constantly sort of staying alert and, and uh, upgraded through exposure. And it's this is the way human beings have managed these sorts of things since the beginning of time. There's nothing particularly unusual about this. SARS-CoV-2, if it was a new virus four years ago, is now thoroughly endemic in the population, and it's easy to manage through therapeutics and just good health and that sort of thing. So there's no basis for this hysteria at all. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I think that this, this, this. All this media generating a fear, it's not producing fear of the virus, it's producing fear of lockdowns. Uh, My phone has been ringing off the hook with people asking me, what should I do? You know, I mean, are we going to get locked down again? Can I leave the country safely? You know, what if um, I find myself in New York and I can't get out? I mean, people are really scared.
2: I guess what worries me the most and the biggest question that I continue to think about all this, is do Americans want to be
3: free? Wow, that is a big question. Uh, Well, I don't even know how to answer that, except to say that I think probably less so than in previous generations, and that is a major problem that (laughs) definitely needs to be fixed. Um, I'm not sure what, uh, what led to a situation where everybody became so strangely compliant three and a half years ago. Um, I don't know if it's like civics education or just spoiled through ridiculous levels of you know prosperity. Uh, we have several generations now that never had to fight for anything. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. And and this is what worries me. And this is really why I started the Brownstone Institute was to you know f- figure this problem out and to highlight the beauty of human freedom. And I've gained a new appreciation for just how fragile it is. I don't think I entirely understood that our freedoms could be so suddenly and quickly taken away uh, by administrative state the way they did it. I, I never imagined I'd see anything like that in my lifetime. So it's a genuine crisis.
2: When you wrote the book about it, in you know, a liberty or, or lockdown, you know, but my fear, too, is that, you know, I, I didn't get vaccinated ever on the show. I talk about it all the time because I, I think that was one of the scariest and, and simultaneously, you know, dumbest moments of, of American history when that was being forced down the throats uh, of Americans. And but what terrified me the most, and it goes back to that question of do Americans want to be free? There was, you know, polling by Rasmussen where nearly half of Democrats wanted to put me and people like me who did get the vaccine in some sort of government camp. And you can really sort of go back in moments of history. And, and while obviously not making comparisons, but you can see how people that are, you know, quote unquote, good people go along with really bad things. And I think that that scares me the most about where we are as a society and where we could be heading.
3: Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh I, I when I was young and in college, there, there's a book called "Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds," which provides you know fascinating anecdotes from all of history where people just went insane. Uh, and I always thought, "Wow, look at look at how crazy people used to be in the past." That will never happen to us now because we're too well educated and we have access to all sorts of information. We'll never go through this. Uh, unfortunately, we did go through it, and it was extremely uh, brutal. Very cruel. The vaccine mandates, you know, eventually mutated into full-scale segregation in, I guess, five cities. In, let me think. This would have been, um, yeah, in in late 2021 and early 2022. So we had. New York, Boston, New Orleans, Chicago, so, you know, really just shut off their their services, their public accommodations, uh, commercial enterprises to the non-vaccinated. And they did this without, you know, any regard for the demographics of the unvaccinated group, but you know, the the the, the largest single unvaccinated group in this country is members of the Af- African American community. So they, you know, in New York, 40% uh, were excluded from libraries theaters restaurants bars it's it's astonishing i don't remember reading anything about that but i looked at the demographics and i thought this is this is segregation and 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 the new york times loves it and we had you know in those days too uh, th- there was there was really no evidence that the vaccine was capable of protecting people um, and certainly you know, stopping the spread of the virus. There was no evidence of that. In fact, the EUAs offered for the vaccines never even claimed that they were going to do that. Uh, it's true that Walensky and Fauci and the rest of these people Rachel Maddow and so on all said this, but there was no scientific evidence of this. And we did it anyway. We just began to demonize, you know, the unvaccinated and blame them for the perpetuation of the pandemic, even though there was no evidence for that either. It was extraordinarily cruel based on superstition and really a kind of unmitigated hatred of the other. And this really happened in our times.
2: Well, and that's what it really was. It was it was the othering of people which we've seen throughout history. And because there really wasn't any, you know, and, and what was strange was being a rational person during all of this who didn't get caught up in the hysteria, who was actually trying to look at the facts. Because from a facts fact based rational standpoint, you could say, OK, as a young and healthy person, statistically, I'm just not at risk of dying from covid. COVID is clearly not preventing or the vaccine's not preventing the spread of COVID. So therefore, this is not a a public health thing to get vaccinated. I'm not protecting my neighbors by getting vaccinated. I'm not personally at risk of the vaccine. Most vaccines have five to 10 years of safety data. This does not. mRNA is new to the market. You know, they really use the fog of war to get it. So considering all of that, why would I get something that I don't need? That's untested. That's not going to prevent the spread to other people. Yet, if you didn't get it, you were a monster.
3: Yeah, and the unknown safety profile is an interesting one. You know, how is it that so many people were willing to trust uh, the CDC and the FDA? Uh, you know, uh, with with this new technology, you know, with with which we had had no prior experience, which hadn't hadn't been tested. It's really Astonishing that so many people went along with this, much less the, you know, mandating it for for millions and millions of people. Uh, you know, and let's not forget that you know, the Biden administration initially wanted to mandate it for every you know medium sized and large business in the country, and that was quickly struck down. Uh, but that almost happened to us. But but even then, are mandates on healthcare workers and on the military uh, and all. Well, I guess employees of government, you know, they, they, they were forced to get it. And, and most universities did this to their students. And now there's this really epidemic of myocarditis among, among students, which is, you know, we're completely silent about. We pretend like that's not happening. But I had, you know, professor friends of mine who just said, look, I'm not going to go along with this. I'm just, I'm leaving. And they, they left academia and students just said look I'm not I'm not going back to school I'm I'm out of here I'm not going to I'm not going to do this that turns out to have been a very intelligent uh, decision but in order to make that kind of decision it took a lot of personal courage because you couldn't even turn on the TV without having people scream at you get vaccinated get vaccinated your friends were yelling at you everybody was yelling at you daily papers I mean, the whole culture was demanding that everybody line up for their shots Without any evidence that they were going to do anything to end the pandemic, Uh, and as you say, you know the demographics of this particular pathogen were so focused on the elderly and infirm, and essentially, certainly no, you know, that almost invisible risk to young people, but even working age. Um, adults, healthy adults, were not ever in any risk of medically significant consequences from this beyond just, you know, you're going to get sick. And that, that certainly I would include myself in that. I, I knew for sure that I was, you know, I would get COVID and that it was going to be a bummer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And that's sure enough what happened. But, you know, the idea that you would need a vaccine um, or that you were willing to take the risk, you know, with this new technology, it's its all crazy. And, you know, what's interesting about this, too, if you go back to 2020 and listen to what partisan Democrats are saying in September and October about the vaccine, they say, oh, you're not going to give this to me. This is the Trump vaccine. There's no way I'm going to take that. Um, I don't want to have anything to do with this shot. I don't know if it's what a safety pro- profile is. They were all saying this all over the media. and then then the shot came out after the election. and then suddenly out of nowhere, all these same people flipped in the opposite direction and said, you're're you're, you're, you're a, a devil and ruining public health by, by not lining up for your shot. Amazing. And did you know this, too, that Fauci directly intervened in delaying the release of the vaccines until after the election? People don't know that, but it's real true. It's a true story.
2: We'll take a quick commercial break. Back with Jeffrey Tucker.
1: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip.
2: It's hard to not look at the timeline and the sequencing of things and not feel as if this was intentionally weaponized to append a political election, you know, destroy a candidate and to control a population of people.
3: Yeah, and also implement, you know, a wide range of course of policies. I'm pretty sure that the intention was to segregate every city by vaccine status, and then give us a national uh, vaccine passport, which would include all kinds of health information, and that that would be rolled into eventually a Chinese-style social credit system. So I think that was the goal. It didn't really work. I mean, it's actually funny, uh, the, in New York City, or actually the state of New York was one of the places where they tried to play play around with this digital vaccine passport and they never got it working right just having spent you know tens of billions of dollars on it it it, it really did flop <laughs> it was unable to we're like fortunate you,
2: they're too incompetent <laughs> thank, <laughs> had this, thank god they're they're idiots <laughs> it was
3: so bad you know like if you got if if you got vaccinated in connecticut uh, th- there was no way for the New York app to take account of that. I mean, it really did only, um, uh, uh, accommodate New York, New York v- vaccination. So it, 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 nothing. And it, even then it just was flaky. It was always crashing. So yeah, they finally have taken it offline, but I think that was the intention. It didn't work, but you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've felt now for several years, um, Every once in a while, I feel as if we've had a victory, you know, and, but I've learned not to get too cocky about that and go, oh, we're winning. We're going to win this great struggle because I feel like the bad guys in this drama look at our victories as temporary setbacks.
2: Yeah. It's never ending.
3: And yeah. It's never ending. The struggle is going to go on and on. I, th- I feel like they didn't, they don't think everything went perfectly well, but they're waiting at, and, and, and ready to deploy it. Uh, again, that's why, you know, all the recent propaganda about, you know, we've seen r- renewed mask mandates, and and now the FDA is approving another booster. And you know that, and listeners should know this, that the best vaccine specialists at the FDA, the real uh, high-end serious scientists, all resigned. They're gone. So you're left now just with, with bureaucrats that are going to rubber stamp anything that comes out from big pharma. And that's that's why we got the RSV vaccine and 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 all these things the over the over the counter birth control all this stuff and then yet another booster yet another you know bivalent bivalent yada yada all this stuff is just going through as if it's nothing. These are bureaucrats not paying any attention. They know that the, that the big pharmaceutical companies pay their salary. They like to be able to pay their mortgage and their second mortgage and the third mortgage. And so they're going along with this stuff just to just to, for for career reasons. Uh, the the science seems to be just not even there anymore, and nobody's even pretending. It's it's all quite shocking.
2: Well, and that's the thing is because now we're left in this um, you know atmosphere of distrust. And you know, I've always just been you know, like my first couple of words when I was younger, it was no. And then why? (laughs) So like, I've always been skeptical and like deeply distrustful of most things as it, you know, from birth, right? This is just the way God made me. But now it's like, I don't trust anything that we're told. And now, you know, I I went from previously being, you know, if someone told me I should get vaccinated for something, I would have been more trusting of it, probably would have done it. Now I'm like, I don't, now I'm like, I don't want anything. Like a nurse recently tried to get me to get the flu vaccine. I, about like, you know, I like mortal combat at her. Like I was like, no, you know, so now I don't trust any, like, I mean, even like, I mean, it would have to be, I, I don't even know at this point under what circumstance I would trust a new vaccine. If I'm being perfectly honest,
3: you can be perfectly honest. And I, I understand your position and I, Find myself agreeing with it more and more, and and what's what's fascinating to me is that you know when I started Brownstone, people started saying, "Oh, another anti-vax uh, think tank," and yeah, you know, I didn't even understand what that meant. You know, I'd never met ma- met an anti vaxxer I didn't have any anti-vaccine feelings. I wasn't. I didn't think this vaccine was necessary. I didn't. Nece- I didn't imagine really that would be actually dangerous, but I I didn't have any real biases about the the whole thing. I was against the lockdowns, and I knew that masking was dumb, and the plexiglass, and the dousing with hand sanitizer. you know, this whole frenzy we went through. I always thought that was all ridiculous, but I didn't have a particular antipathy towards uh, the vaccine industry. Nowadays, yeah, it's really different. I read this whole book called, I'm sure you've heard of it, called Turtles All the Way Down, uh, which really examines the uh, the industry in detail and the history uh, behind the vaccines. And, and especially since 1986, the, since all these countries have been indemnified, you know, against any liability for harms from their vaccines, you know, we've just seen them uh, proliferate like crazy. It's as RFK says. It's it's a gold rush, and now I've I've become gravely skeptical myself. I'm just not sure how many people join us in this attitude. I'm certainly more now than before, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, part of me worries that there's enough Americans that are not sufficiently incredulous towards these things that it's going to continue to incentivize these large pharmaceutical companies to keep cranking out the potions, you know, just, just, just to keep their s- sales high and uh, their their stock price, you know, from tanking.
2: Well, I think what worries me is this growing schism and, and separation between the people in charge and the rest of America and, you know, for instance, you have former head of the FDA who's now cashing in on the Pfizer board, who's on TV talking about how there's no evidence this new variant is deadlier. However, you know, it's highly, you know, mutated and escaping uh, vaccine immune systems, which, to be honest, the other, va- or the other, the other variants seemed pretty adept at escaping vaccine <laughs> immunity, uh, you know, uh, immunity as well, right? So, but, you know, point being is that this dude's cashing in off of this pushing fear on this new COVID variant just in time when these vaccine manufacturers are going to be out with a new booster. And, you know, and, and, and who, ca- like, th- these people just don't care about us, right? They don't care about the safety of what they're pushing on us. Politicians don't care about the wreckage and the damage that they did to so many Americans, you know, because they were celebrating with their families for Thanksgiving, like Dr. Burks did. You know, they told you to stay at home but then they're hanging out with their families. They tell you to stay at home, but then Obama's throwing ragers in Martha's Vineyard. And, and there's just this massive growing disconnect with the people who are telling us what to do, who are unscathed in the process and don't care about the damage and the wreckage that they're leaving on the rest of America. And like, I don't know how long that can continue. And I think more people are waking up to just how much bullshit it all is.
3: It's creepy how how... The, the public discussion of all these uh, topics that are dominating this little session um, are is kind of been shut down. I, I was really alarmed uh, about the the GOP debate the other night that really none of these topics were really discussed at all. And of course, you notice that most of the advertisers that uh, were backing that that debate were pharma companies. I mean, I, I think within the first ten minutes, I saw four ads for FDA approved drugs, and I thought, hmm. But it just wasn't a a topic. I mean, Ron DeSantis br- br- tried to bring it up, but nobody else picked up the thread, so the thing just sort of fizzled. And at some point, the one of the moderators asked Pence whether he feels that the Trump administration bears some responsibility for the learning loss since the school closures began. Under his administration, I set up, I was really excited. I thought, oh, well, now we're going to finally get some truth. Well, you know what he did? He completely ignored the question. Completely ignored it. And they never returned to it again. That was it. Now, you mentioned uh, Scott Gottlieb. Uh, you know, that guy is a piece of work. You know, he goes on these these shows all the time, you know, MSNBC and CNN and everything. And that guy rattles off the most amazing Just litany of gibberish about all the new variants, and he's got all the names down pat. He's like X one, you know, B and five, and and, whatever. (laughs) And he sounds like this this expert, but people don't understand about Gottlieb. You know, he was uh, picked to be head of the FDA um, in two thousand, I guess two thousand seventeen, and then left and immediately went to the Pfizer board. Mm -hmm. When the, when Fauci and Burks and these people were leaning on Trump to sort of green light the lockdowns, and, and um, this would have been the weekend of um, March 14th and 15th, uh, because it been a, Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday. When they were trying to figure out just how severe the CDC edicts should be, they got Gottlieb on the phone. And He was one of the main influences behind the initial lockdowns, and I know this because um, I think Jared Kushner reports in, in his book. And Gottlieb said something to, to to the to the gang of of people gathered there that um, if you think you're going too far, then that's probably about the right amount. So Gottlieb was massively influential. And shutting down your churches and closing small businesses and closing playgrounds and the closure of the schools and the capacity restrictions on 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 homes. Uh where I lived at the time, you couldn't have more than ten people in and 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 your house, no matter how big it was. So, you know, weddings were off, funerals were off, everything was off. God himself had a huge role in making all that happen.
2: And then cashes in on all of it with the vaccine
3: just to put a fine point on it, he certainly has cashed in on all of it. And if you draw attention to the facts to him, he just blows up. Um, But yeah, there's a whole generation of sort of leaders in industry and in media and in politics and in academia that really need to be called to account for what they did to us. But it is not happening. We've just we just have this weird silence going on. And to, to your point about this disconnect between public opinion and and the um, ruling class sort of elites in this country, um, it is growing wider by the day. Because everybody I know, and really everybody in this country and billions of people around the world have lasting trauma having grown out of the uh, calamity of the last three and a half years, and we all know about it, we're all seeking answers. We want to know, what were you thinking? You know, who did this and why? What happened to our Bill of Rights? We have all these burning questions. We're not getting answers to them. And meanwhile, all the sort of uh, you know, official uh, molders of the public mind are pretending like this never happened.
2: There's also not been an accounting or truth telling about the amount of damage that this has done to so many lives in the sense of people who died of overdoses from depression or loneliness, suicides from depression of being locked in people's homes, losing their jobs, not being able to go and work being denied a purpose in life, you know, family members who died alone, funerals that were unattended because they were not, you know, family members are not allowed to attend, people who've lost businesses, you know, people who've lost their livelihoods. It's like, there just hasn't been a, a full accounting, a, a real attempt to just truly get to the bottom of the the damage and the destruction and the wreckage. That these government policies, not COVID, but government policies, have destroyed lives.
3: The learning losses—you know—a uh, whole generation of high school students graduating, you know, with with unable to really wouldn't wouldn't count as literate by any historical uh, standard. I mean, the, the number of families that were just were separated from the travel restrictions, uh, uh, the divorces that took place—you uh, know—over arguments about whether to vaccinate the children. I mean, I know many cases of that, you know, the whole vaccination question just broke up um, civic groups and families and churches and um, bands and, and the same thing with masking, you know, that, that was a brutal period too. It's like, where's your mask? Where's your mask? Well, I don't think they really work. Well, screw you. I mean, it it was the most divisive and culturally destructive uh, period that I, I've ever seen in my life, and everybody has a, a story there's I don't think there's any exceptions to this. People have such sad stories to tell over the last three years, and you're right, there's just not been a serious reckoning and i you know I don't entirely know what to do about it. I really hope the debates the other night were going to get some honesty and truth about this instead, the moderators just 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 pretended like the whole thing didn't really happen and and I th- it's it's tremendously uh, troubling I I have an article this morning on Brownstone called the great um, game of let's pretend something like that and it really is is let's pretend that this never happened that there's no real crisis and if you think about the things that are vexing us right now in this country like this inflation you know 20 30 percent in three years in grocery prices and the housing Inflation and all the things that are wiping that have wiped out um, middle class prosperity; those all trace to policies pursued in the name of 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 COVID controls. And the status of major cities in this country, from Seattle to uh, Portland, to New York City, Chicago, and Boston, Hartford, and, and so on. Um, it's these cities are falling apart. People are not going back to work. Uh, petty crime is taken over. Uh, 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 New York and every major city smells like weed, you know, because of all the the substances that people turn to just to get through things. I mean, it's 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 maybe not quite apocalyptic, but it's certainly headed that way. And yeah, we need some honesty and truth about this. I I really hoped beginning in March. 2020 that there would that this would end quickly and that everybody would apologize and we'd go on with our lives and never do it again. That has not happened.
2: Well, Omicron was the best thing that happened to this country because I think it deprogrammed people who still thought they could outrun an outrunnable virus. But to your point, you know, we've talked a lot in the past sense and this is in the present sense. And, you know, and with inflation and the the wreckage done to the economy that we're going to be continuing to deal with for God knows how long the loss of freedom that you know we may never get back in this country. And also, I just think the destruction of the soul of the country as well as the soul of so many Americans. I mean, it, it just seems like we have more broken people than we have ever had before as a result of lockdowns and the fear and the turning neighbors against neighbors and the othering of people. It just it, it just seems like we are a broken nation with broken people. And and maybe we've always been, but it has definitely gotten worse since COVID and since the government did this to our country.
3: The whole theme of the United States is believed all over the world is this idea of freedom. And it was instantiated in the idea of limited government with the Constitution and guaranteed through the Bill of Rights. I mean, that is the theme of American history. That's our great contribution to the world. Everybody looks to the United States for what freedom is and what it feels like, and, and it's built the greatest nation in history and so on. Um, then we just, just decided to get rid of it one day. And look what it did. It just utterly you're exactly right. It crushed the soul of this country. It it robbed us of even things like, you know, our religious freedom. I was talking to a, a priest friend of mine the other day in the Midwest, and we were talking about just how shocking it was that for how long the churches closed and then the churches, you know, mask their parishioners and then, you know, vac, you know, even many, many imposed vaccine restrictions, but he was talking about what it was like in Easter of 2020. Um, All the churches were closing. He just had some sense that he didn't go into the priesthood to close his church to his parishioners on Holy week and Easter. He just, he just felt like that was not right. And so he went to, his bishop and his, and he said look I'm going to open my church and the bishop said well you can't do that I I I, I for, absolutely forbid it and and my priest friend friend said well you know what I'm going to do it anyway and and you can you can just fire me if you want to but I'm going to I'm going to do my religious duty and the bishop said well you're just um, you're just pretending you're not really going to you're not going to let me just fire you and the priest said, look, just try me. I mean, the, the, I, this is my vocation. This is my whole life. If I don't celebrate Mass on Easter for, for my parishioners, what's my life worth? And the priest and the bishop uh, never, never gave him permission, but then also uh, stopped threatening him. So when the time came, uh, to avoid the media... Uh, eyes and to avoid uh, local government officials he turned the lights extremely low in the in his in his church and spread the word quietly throughout his whole congregation that you can come celebrate holy week services and easter but come in the back entrance in, and uh, entrance so that the media cameras wouldn't wouldn't be able to see and park you know several blocks away and scatter your cars out and they did and they came in and they had really a completely packed uh, church uh, for that, for those services. Um, But they had to do it surreptitiously. It's an extraordinary story because it seems simply incredible that something like that would have happened in the United States, a country that really gave this gift of religious liberty to the world. You know, we were the greatest practitioners of that. We put it in our First Amendment, and then just one day, boom, it was gone.
2: But it was perfectly fine to exercise uh, your First Amendment if you're writing burning buildings down in the streets. That was fine, but (laughs) God forbid you want to go to church. Quick break. Stay with us.
1: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of.
2: I actually don't know your politics, which is probably, you know, a good thing, but if you I mean we all know where Joe Biden has stood on lockdowns and vaccines and you know, so we all know his, you know, record. If you had to assess some of the Republican front runners when you look at Trump, when you look at DeSantis or you look at Vivek, how do you assess their response to COVID and you know what you might think they might handle something heading down the pike if if god forbid they do this again
3: i have big big thoughts on that so speaking of biden by the way i really had every hope yes i'm very naive i had very hope every hope that after the inauguration he would just say well we got the vaccine we went through this COVID thing and now let's just go back to normal he didn't he went the opposite way he was the one who gave us the mask mandates right remember those where you couldn't, you ride a bus or get on the plane without it, and people were screaming at you, "Get that mask over your nose!" And, oh, well, yeah, but on the other hand, I have to breathe. Um, and then you know, then he gave us the vaccine mandate, so he made everything much worse. Now, in terms of the 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 GOP uh, people, I you know, I, I the the GOP did not perform very well. But among them all, and and Vivek is an interesting case because he's he's a good friend of mine, by the way, and and uh, we were talking all the time before he became president, and he he talks now, you know, just a great uh, game on all this stuff. However, um, his book that's out there called A Nation of Victims uh, was is not uh, um, against these controls. I mean, he was celebrating the vaccines and. He was not, he never really was against the lockdowns and that sort of thing. I think he's had a change of heart, and I have to trust that he's right about that. So um, now, DeSantis, uh, of all the governors, well, the, the best governor in the country, hands down, it was uh, Christy Noam of uh, South Dakota. And she's, she was the.
2: The population in South Dakota is a little bit different than some of these other, you know, than like Georgia for Kemp or even Florida for DeSantis. Do you think, I mean, does that. Have a role in it or
3: am I? No, I mean, she made that decision because she really didn't believe that she, as governor, had the power to shut down businesses and churches and that sort of thing. And she, she was incredulous in the beginning, just and, and they have, you know, yeah, it's not a tremendously dense population, but they have real cities and normal life and that sort She just wouldn't go along. Why she was allowed to get away with that? It, you know, I have some sense. I wonder if she were here, if she would agree with me, that a large, large parts of this country just hear the name South Dakota and go, hey, eh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a state that doesn't matter a lot in people's minds. So somehow she got away with it. The very next state to open up was, of course, um, Georgia with with Kemp, um, who started. Who got crucified by the Trump administration in particular? But, and the, the other thing about the Georgia case is that um, there were a lot of local uh, lockdowns in Georgia that he couldn't really control. But as a state, he just he said, Look, I'm sick of this, these code regulations. The very next one was, of course, DeSantis. And DeSantis has tremendous regrets about ever having gone along with any lockdowns. And he's the one governor in the country that actually apologized to his people for ever having locked down. And he did, he did close some beaches and he did, he did uh, close some, some of the stores for a time. maybe a few weeks and that sort of thing. By, I would say by, 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 certainly by May, uh, he had lost all interest in lockdowns and and the spring break was, you know, in Florida was full. And then he really leaned in and started reading the the scientific papers on his own and coming to his own judgments. He got a new um, a group of advisors, uh, many of whom were my friends, and they really coached him on on this idea of focus protection and just encouraging people to just go about their lives. But you know, if you're elderly, if you're actually vulnerable, then be careful and that sort of thing. So he had overall the best policies, and he's the most conversant in the issue. And also Florida today is the only state in the country that has legislation uh, against lockdowns. Like, you know, there's a law in, in, um, in Florida that you cannot lock down and you cannot impose ma- um, a va- uh, mask mandates. You cannot impose a vaccine Mandates, so that's true. It's the, it's the only state for which that's true, and so I think DeSantis, among all of them, is the most scientifically literate, the most passionate on the subject, and the one most determined to prevent ever having a lockdown again. And so, of of all the of all the people in the running, he's he's the one that uh, that I think is most trustworthy on the topic, despite some missteps in the early early times. Now, let me just speak to the the Trump issue. Um, it's it's a little mortifying to me that he's never really come to terms with his role in this whole thing. He swears he did everything right. It's, it's obvious even to his most strongest supporters that, that that is not true. And I really do think it's up to to Trump to give us a real accounting of exactly what happened. You know, on March 9th, 2020, he was posting, this is a flu, it's gonna come, it's gonna go, we're gonna be fine, we don't shut things down for the flu. On the eleventh, he changed his mind. So he he uh, sent out a tweet and said, "We we'll use all the whole of a whole government response to battle and defeat this this virus." So he flipped on March tenth, thereabout, and he's never really explained to anybody what it is that happened that caused him to change his mind, and when precisely he lost. Uh, uh, confidence that these sort of lockdowns were were a good thing. Uh, Deborah Burks reports that after April 1st, he stopped talking to her, that he was actually angry. And, um, and it really took him several months. Um, but even as late as June and July, he was tweeting out that Sweden didn't do it the right way. They should have locked down. Of course, we know that's not true. By August, Scott Atlas had arrived <clears throat> in Washington, and they were hanging out, you know, every day they were watching movies together in the evenings uh, they became best friends eating meals together and scott Atlas gave him a tutorial in virology and epidemiology and talked him through the authentic science of this thing and and trump changed his mind completely and that was when he started you know telling everybody to open up but it's all very strange. He never got rid of the emergency declarations, and he never issued any kind of executive order to open up. And he never really got control of uh, the CDC and the NIH and, and Fauci's little uh, regime. So it was, it was all a little bit mystifying. Um, but I, I would say it really ruined his last, the last year of the Trump presidency. And then let's also remember that all the problems with mail-in ballots began with the COVID controls. Do you remember that? Yeah. So, you know, if you think the election was stolen, I mean, one of the major contributing factors to that whole thing was the mail-in ballots and all the confusion over that whole thing. Well, that was all unleashed as a result of uh, COVID control. So, um, you know, he bears some responsibility for this himself. So I would just like to see him speak honestly and openly. I hoped that Tucker Carlson was going to do that the other night,
1: but he didn't.
2: We've got to take a quick break more on the COVID craziness.
1: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board. This
2: Yeah, there's not been a lot of accountability yet with the Republican candidates of really getting to the bottom of this stuff, which is, you know, sad because this is probably one of the most defining moments, if not the defining moment in our lifetimes. You know, you've actually you opened my eyes to Christy Noem. I, I think I've been tough on her and it was ever since she caved to the NCAA initially on women's sports. I think I kind of just like she lost me after that. And so I think I probably have not given her the recognition she deserves on COVID. Uh, As a result of that, so I've probably been unfair.
3: Yeah, she's she's good. Now, people in South Dakota tell me that you can give her too much credit that actually, in fact, she faced a tremendous amount of pressure from her own state legislature uh, to not lock down. And and that and I've seen these. She was initially inclined to lock down and go along with CDC. And then the state legislature said, there's no way you're not going to you're not going to do that here in South Dakota. So then she backed off. But still, she was good. She was good. She deserves a lot of credit.
2: Now, Before we go, um, you had posted something. I think it was yesterday or something. I gave it a retweet uh, because there were so many people like so many doctors that took such personal hits. Uh, to their reputations for for telling the truth. You know, Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Atlas, Martin Kolder. I mean, Kolder, like, there there's a, a long list of people, Martin McCary, who were truth-tellers during all of this. And, and he posted a column from Dr. John Enides of Stanford. He's a world-renowned epidemiologist, uh, He wrote and Harvey Risch. I mean, there's so many people that, you know, you, you, you could name that were really just brave and, and truth-tellers in all of this. Uh, but Dr. John Enides wrote this op-ed in, in Stat News, at the very beginning, right after the lockdowns, he totally reshaped my thinking on all of this. He opened my eyes. And then since then, I looked at this as a totally different person. He was kind enough to answer questions that I sent him. You know, I, I did my best to get his word out. You know, I wrote an op-ed in the Hill, trying to you know, trying to, trying to push this out to the public a, as much as I could. Uh, but the sad thing is, he was right about everything from the very beginning,
3: uh, Lisa, you did this in, in, in March and April of 2020.
2: Yep. At the very beginning of all of this. Cause I, I read his, I read his op-ed and I said, you know what, this guy's the only, cause I, I worked in polling before. And so I've worked in data. I've, you know, this is like my background's in politics, but I've also, I worked as a vice president of polling for a period of time. So I, you know, data is something that registers with me and his op-ed just made so much sense. And I read it and I said, this guy's the only person that makes sense proceeded to ask him a billion questions. He was kind enough to take the time to respond to all my questions thoroughly. And this went on for a, a while. And then I befriended other people, you know, some of the names I've mentioned before of people that were truth tellers and all of this who also gave me information. And then so really from the beginning, I, but it was because of him. I didn't know this stuff on my own. It was solely because of Dr. John Enides and this op-ed that he wrote in Stat News. But the point is, like all of this could have been avoided. I mean, there were people out there who are world renowned, right? Like, not not even just—it's not like he's some, you know, uh, sideshow out there. I mean, this man is brilliant, and he warned us from the beginning, and no one listened, or at least not at first when they should have.
3: You know that uh, that that that. Uh, first of all, God bless you. I mean, that is that's just great. I mean, you should you deserve a medal for that.
2: No, but it was him. It's because of him, you know?
3: That article came out March 17th. And it's a very powerful article. It's prophetic. You better go read it. It's everything he says in that article is right. He says, we don't have the data to demonstrate that. Uh, any of the stuff is necessary or that any of the means we're using to control this virus are actually going to achieve their ends and they're going to cause enormous amount of damage. And you're right about his status as a scientist. You know, he, he was, you know, one of the great scientists in the country and a leading epidemiologist. And he had written, he had a huge, uh, Publications record that was celebrated by everybody in the New York Times, the Atlantic. I mean, he, he's just a, a great national hero. And he said on March 17th, the day after the initial uh, a lockdown press conference in Washington, that this was a, a calamity, that we should be stopping this. And I don't know why that article didn't have a bigger impact than it did. We should have, everything should have stopped instantly after that article appeared.
2: I think that it was intentionally ignored. I think there was a desire to to push fear is what is this, you know, because I remember I even got the White House on record and you know what, screw it, screw Dr. Deborah Brooks. It was her. She was the one. I got her team on record saying that they were going to do a representative uh, sample, that they're going to do a seroprevalence study to try to figure out how deadly COVID actually was because the problem was that we were missing cases, you know, by like 65 fold. So the fatality rate was totally skewed. So we we're operating off of a B.S. baseline from the beginning, which was the point of uh, Dr. Enidi's op-ed. And they said they were going to do it. And then, like, did they do it? No. <laughs> so there, there, there really wasn't even ever a desire to from, you know, and, and not, you know, for Dr. Burks and, and Dr. Fauci and these people who are supposed to these public health bureaucrats to ever actually find the truth. So that we are operating and making good decisions off of a proper baseline.
3: Uh, Ron DeSantis tells the story of getting uh, calling up Deborah Burks and and saying something to her like, um, "Do you have a, do, do we know any of this stuff's actually going to work? What What actually is the goal? Are we trying to eradicate this virus? I mean, what What's going on? And how do we know any of these? These great tools that you're telling me to implement are actually going to achieve their goal. She said, she said, he says that she said to him, Well, we don't really know. It's a kind of a real time science experiment. (laughs) And after that, uh, DeSantis said he just began to kind of lose all faith in. <laughs> in the in the deep state and their and their uh, disease plans, so, yeah. So and and we shouldn't we shouldn't leave this without mentioning the fact that um, th- we th- there was no plan at all for what to do when people got sick. You know, I mean, we went through a whole year, the first year of COVID, when it was most wicked, um, without any recommendations coming from the NIH or CDC on what you should do if you're sick beyond take uh get getting ventilated which you know kills you you know 8 or 9 out of 10 times uh either from the ventilation itself or from the inevitable secondary infections you get from ventilation and the other one was the fauci's favorite drug called uh, remdesivir which is just you know also nicknamed run death is near <laughs> so, and, 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 and the repurposed uh, generic drugs uh, were completely off the table. I mean, where I live, there was no chance of getting ivermectin when I finally did get sick. Um, and I got really sick. <clears throat> this would have been in January of 22. I could not get ivermectin. I finally had to have a friend who drove from New York who got ivermectin from India and brought it over to me. This is in the United States of America. And I had a doctor's prescription, but nobody would give it to me. I mean, I went from pharmacy to pharmacy to pharmacy, and nobody would give it to me. So this really happened in this country.
2: I could talk to you forever about this. Uh, You know, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to, to leave us with?
3: I would say, Lisa, we desperately need some... You know, not just a, a public reckoning and a serious conversation about this, and I would even like to have some apologies, right? But also, we need serious changes. The the same people who did this before are still in power now. The new the successor to, to uh, what's her name at CDC, you know, is a is a devote is a, a devout follower of Fauci. The new head of NIH is the same thing. I mean, there's nothing has really changed and this is what we've got to fix this problem. We need a dramatic reform uh, so we can guarantee this will never happen again, and we need a, a, a real reckoning. I don't see how we move forward as a nation until we have a really blunt public conversation about this and some serious changes in the way the government operates to make sure this never happens again. So thank you, Lisa, for doing your part to fight this for the last three and a half years. I think it's just heroic what you've done, and I'm glad you had me on your podcast today.
2: Well, same to you in finding the Brownstone Institute. Um, I read it often, and you publish a lot of brilliant people and have a lot of brilliant minds and a lot of truth tellers who have been trying to tell us from the beginning that this was all nonsense. So I I appreciate you for starting it and for, for working to get the truth out there.
3: Well, let's, uh, let's keep our chin up and keep going, because I think we can eventually win this. But even if we don't, we're doing the right thing. And, um, we're, we're, and in some sense, your voice is really, really necessary. And I do believe what Brownstone's doing is extremely important, too, for, this, for the sake of human liberty, for the sake of human dignity, for the survival of civilization. Because I tell you what, you cannot have a free and civilized society under lockdowns.
2: Well said, Jeffrey. Uh, Thanks so much for for taking the time to join the show. I I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed this conversation and I appreciate you taking the time.
3: Such a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa.
2: That was Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Appreciate him taking the time to join the show. Appreciate you at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time.
1: Com.